Hi, I'm Melissa Italiano, founder of Melissa Natural Perfumes and your host for the With Intent podcast, where I'll be bringing you insightful conversations with everyday inspired people living with intent. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment and share. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Melissa With Intent podcast featuring local endorsed midwife, Lauralee Worrell, who since the age of nine knew she would help women birth and just this past year facilitated 44 home births. Lauralee is an advocate for empowering women to birth with confidence, love and respect at their chosen location. She's also a mother of four and quite simply a remarkable woman. During our beautiful conversation, you will feel the depth and breadth of Lauralee's knowledge and the weighted responsibility she feels to help transform women's birthing experiences. If you're preparing for birth and or healing from past births, I know you will benefit from listening. It was truly an honour to spend time with Lee. I hope you enjoy listening. Good afternoon, Lee. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I, I'm always amazed with these podcasts and the timings, like um, things just seem to come into my realm at exactly the right time. And we've had a little bit of a private chat about certain um, aspects of the maternity system and, um, and birthing. And I'm, I'm super excited to share your personal experience and um, your wealth of knowledge on the topic I just wanted to give everyone a bit of an um, overview of your background and, and your, I guess you ex- explained a bit of a knowing that you had at a young age that you would help um, women birth and you had a bit of a fascination with the reproductive system. Could you share your background and your inspiration for pursuing a path in midwifery? Yes. Um... So I'm originally from Canada. Uh, Growing up, I don't think I really knew the word midwife. Um, I just knew uh, from a very young age that I wanted to be with women while they were birthing. So I had a lot of dreams about being with women. I would write a lot of stories about being with women in creative writing class. Um, And in high school, I just, I absolutely loved human biology and the reproductive system. Um, so it was a natural, midwifery actually in Canada at the time wasn't a recognized profession. Um, so my pathway into working with women was to do my nursing. So I ended up doing a nursing degree and uh, a nursing degree in Canada is four years and a year and a half of that was spent um, working in maternity and I just felt right at home um I knew that that's what I wanted to do and when I finished university I ended up working in lots of different places around the world I worked in India I worked all over Canada I worked in various indigenous communities in Australia and I worked in not just maternity I worked in a variety of settings Um, But I just always felt most at home um, when I was when I was working with women um, through the birthing journey. Um, That that's quite remarkable. How old were you when you would have the dreams about um, uh, birthing and and helping women? Um, I think I was in elementary school, like probably grade four, five, six. and I remember writing stories, probably starting to write stories in grade seven, eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you share that with your mum and your, or your parents or anyone? Teachers? Um, certainly teachers. I think my parents would have had an awareness, but my mum was also really grossed out by blood, so she wouldn't be able to really listen to me talking about what I was interested in. Um, yeah, so it was just something I think with within myself that I, I just knew and kind of followed, ended up just following that pathway. Yeah, fantastic. Um, doulas seem to be becoming more popular 
um, providing aid to women during pregnancy and at their birth. I personally um, chose to birth with the doula for my second birth after feeling disappointed with the um, hospital system. What's the difference between yourself as an endorsed midwife and a doula? Uh, so a doula um, is not necessarily a trained professional. No one, uh, there's no training that's required to become a doula. Um, anyone, anyone could could act as a doula, um, and so that a doula would um, support emotionally, physically women in pregnancy throughout the labor. Sometimes doulas offer services to support moms after the birth, um, but it's that kind of emotional support, I suppose. Um, and you know, doing really helpful things like helping out with other kids, or even the laundry, or cooking meals, or rubbing mom's back, or making sure mom stays hydrated in labor. Those are the sorts of things that a doula would do. Um, a midwife uh, is more responsible for um, clinical care or medically looking after women. And as an endorsed midwife, um, what that refers to is. Um, we've done extra training so that we can uh, write referrals for pathology, radiology, we can prescribe medications related to pregnancy, and also we can claim Medicare um, for some of our services. Right. Okay. Um, so it's like, mm, of course, we're also emotionally looking after women, but it's um, medically making sure that mom and baby are safe. Right. Um, you facilitated 44 home births last year and mentioned during our private chat that home births have been increasing year on year and especially since COVID. You're also booked out eight months in advance. Can you share your view, please, on why, why there's an increase or why you're personally seeing an increase? Yeah, I think, I think there's a few things. I think... Um, you know, we've in the last several years, the hospitals around the world in first world countries have um, had increasing amounts of intervention. The cesarean section has been getting higher and higher, um, and women are becoming just dissatisfied, uh, wanting more choice around their birth, wanting to avoid unnecessary intervention. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Uh, with COVID, I think women became aware that hospitals are potentially incubators for germs, not just COVID, but lots of other germs, and um, perhaps didn't want to expose themselves or their baby to COVID or other germs that would potentially be in the hospital. Um, and the other thing with COVID was that there has been, um, with the different lockdowns, there's been restrictions on how many birth support people, women can bring to hospital with them. Of course. So if you want to have your partner and your mom or your partner and a doula, you all of a sudden weren't able to bring that team into hospital to support you. Um, and for some women, that's really important to have not just their partner, but to have their sister or their grandma or a doula or other people in, in the birth room supporting them. That makes sense. Um, there's, there's a documentary out at the moment called Birth Time. Um, it's about uh, three women who go on the road for a period of four years, um, interviewing women, their partners and experts about their birthing experiences. Um, a friend told me about it. I've only seen the trailer. But there were some pretty significant statistics in that which um, resonated with me personally and I'm sure um, is, is resonating with a lot of women. Um, it's being called a groundbreaking documentary. A third of the women describe their birth experience as, as traumatic. Um, I think they said 33% of women um, needed a cesarean section and um, or they were they had a cesarean section and I think evolutionary biologists were really struggling to digest that statistic. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was quite um, beautiful in that it showed women um, being very vulnerable. You've seen the documentary. Mm -hmm. yes. um, what's your I mean it's Australian so it's very close to home. 
Um, and the whole theme of it is rediscovering the power of birth and, and hoping for women um, and the maternity system to, to shift dramatically from the current system. Um, what was your view on that? And I guess you're actually instigating and helping women do that every day and have been for, for how many years now? So um, I'd be very interested in your view. So yeah, that movie or the documentary I found, you know, it's quite confronting. Um, it shows women who have uh, gone through the hospital system and had a particularly um, disempowering experience. And then for the next pregnancy, they move on and find a different model of care. Um, and yeah, and, and you see them move through that those journeys and you see how healing it is to have a peaceful birth. And, uh, you know, there's a saying, a peaceful birth brings peace on earth. Um, when you have mothers who are at peace and feel empowered by their birth experience, it makes all the difference to, you know, potentially how they interact with their newborn, how they, how they bond with their baby, how they move forward in the world. Um, so yeah, I think this documentary is, is reflective of women's dissatisfaction with the maternity system as it stands. And yeah, we do have a really high cesarean section rate. That the average in um, this country is roughly 33%, but there's some hospitals who have a cesarean section up to 60-70%, um, which is unreasonable you know the world health organization suggests that a cesarean section rate should be more than 10 to 15 percent so why you know have we have we as women lost our um connection to our, our our abilities our innate abilities why 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 is this happening and that's a big that's a big question yeah, it's, a, it's a loaded question um but you know care and I don't, I'm not anti-hospital at all. Like the hospital is there for a reason and there's a time and a place and there's certainly women who really do need to birth in hospital and can um, benefit from that extra layer of support. But, you know, there's a lot of... It's like we, we, we intervene and then we cause complications by those interventions and then we have to... Um, you know, perform more interventions to to uh, outweigh the interventions that we've already, yeah. the complications that we've already created. Um, and it just, it's like this, it's the cascade. It's, it's the cascade of intervention is what we call it. And one intervention can potentially lead to another, can lead to another, can lead to another. And in, in the birth time documentary trailer, um, there was a big quote saying how this this documentary was is a shocking insight into the betrayal of women and i assume that's talking about the hospital system and the um, maternity system my previous podcast interviewee melanie dufty author of a book called i am lilith which explored domination between the sexes and in the afterward of a book she made a comment about the patriarchy deciding women would birth in the supine position I'd never considered um, men influencing how women birth, but mm -hmm. when I thought about it historically, doctors were predominantly male and made the decisions in the hospitals, hence they would heavily influence how women birthed. How did we evolve to birth in a hospital bed supine with our legs in, and in, in stirrups and this conditioning that it, it had to be painful and it is painful and all this interventions required? So. Good question. Um, when you look at uh, paintings or sculptures, like ancient, ancient uh, paintings of women birthing, they're always in a standing, squatting, sitting position. They're in an upright position, using gravity to help them birth. Um, there's, in midwifery textbooks, uh, there's um, some conversation around uh, Louis, King Louis XIV, who was a king of France in the late 1600s, early 1700s. And he had an obsession with watching 
women birth. He had 22 children himself from his Goodness wife me. and mistresses. And at the time, women would traditionally birth on, on birthing stools, but he, he felt that that obstructed his view of being able to watch the birth. So he, he was insisting that his wives or his women would lay on their backs, their legs laid apart so that he could watch. And there's paintings and photos of um, King Louis XIV behind a curtain peeking into the birth room, watching the birth uh, with these women on their backs. And this also coincided with the time that doctors were starting to create uh, instruments to help deliver the babies, right? And so they wanted to use not just their hands, but these instruments to extract the, the baby. Um, and so, of course, using instruments, much easier to do with a woman lying on her back with her legs apart or, or in stirrups than, you know, in any other position, obviously. And then as um, the world became more industrialized, uh, things were moving, birth was moving from home to hospital. So in uh, the 1900, there was approximately half of women who would birth at home, half were birthing in the hospital. By 1930s, there was only about 15% who were birthing at home and the rest of women were birthing in hospital. And now, and certainly for the last probably 20, 30 years, less than 1% of the population in Australia births at home. Less than 1%. Less, less than 1%. You know, I, and that leads me to another question, is, is there, there are certain stigmas attached to home birthing and, and people, including other women, can be quite judgmental of, of couples and women choosing to home birth. Um, so what are the common misconceptions about home birthing and, and why, why have these stigmas emerged? I think, I think possibly the misconception is that a woman, if, she, if a woman chooses to birth at home, she's choosing not to have any medical care. And there are women who choose, choose to birth unassisted without any midwife or any, anyone with them um, or anyone medically trained. But most women who have a home birth have a trained midwife that's with them who essentially brings a miniature hospital to the home rather than bringing the woman to the hospital. Yeah. Um, I know the, the way I practice is I always make sure that women are booked into hospital so that if we do have to transfer into hospital, the hospital has all of her information. I keep in touch with the hospital and with the, with the on-call doctor um, throughout the labor and keep them up to date with how things are progressing if I'm letting them know if I'm happy with things or if I'm not happy. Um, so if we do have to shift into hospital, then it's quite a seamless process. But I, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that when you're choosing to birth at home with a midwife, you still are receiving um, monitoring and the medical care for, for both the mom and the baby. And do you mind sharing your um, of the birth? So, for example, the forty-four home births last year. How many of them? How many had to go into hospital versus yeah. had a peaceful? Uh, or, or in the in your view, the mama's view or the couple's view, a, a, a planned the birth went to plan. Yes. So I just from memory, um, I think my statistics were. Um, I think it was 38 out of 44 ended up being at home. Wow. And wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. So the majority of them. And then there was a couple births that were actually planned hospital births. So women who, who just for whatever reason chose to birth in hospital with me rather than at home. And then, so then there was four that required some sort of intervention. So they, like, I can't quite remember um, exactly, mm -hmm. but um, whether they ended up just going in for pain relief or having an instrumental birth, or I think there was one or two that ended up having a cesarean section, but it yeah. was low, low numbers that actually required that sort of intervention. So talk us through, if you will, um, the process of someone engaging with you up until the process of their birth and the aftercare, and, and I guess the success factors, and I know success can be uh, a hospital birth and, and, and you've explained to me before that your view of success is a woman being empowered mm -hmm. in her decisions around her birth, the way she births. 
Can you walk us through the process of someone engaging with you and I guess the success factor, I call it success, but success in terms of a woman feeling empowered and like the birth experience was, um, was not traumatic. Sure. So uh, engaging with me. So most women will uh, be in touch with me as soon as they know that they're pregnant because there's so few midwives in this country who uh, support women to birth at home. Um, you really need to get in quickly. Um, so the first trimester is usually spent just working out what screening activities are or screening tests are appropriate for you. So what blood tests you may or may not want to have, what ultrasounds you may or may not want to have. And then um, I'm just going to... Laurelie just has to take a um, text message and a call from a doctor. <laughs> so even when she's doing a podcast, she's on, on call. So I'm just going to pause for a second. Okay. Okay, we've got Laurelie back. So yeah. Okay. So the first trimester is essentially just working out what screening tests are uh, appropriate for you, and that's different for each family. And I believe that we just need to have a lot of conversation around that, around that, to make the right decisions for for you, rather than just blanket testing everybody for everything. Um, and then from like twenty-ish weeks pregnancy, then I I'm seeing people monthly. Um, and then as we get closer to the birth, then I'm seeing them fortnightly. And as we get a bit closer, then I'm seeing women weekly. I see women in their own homes. So rather than uh, going to a GP surgery and, or an obstetric surgery uh, and having a 10-minute you know, appointment, I come to your home and we usually sit for at least an hour together. So there's a lot of time for education, conversation, it's just really important to be building rapport because that's, that rapport and that trust is what, what really helps um, support the birth. Um, and I, I guess my, my goal in pregnancy is for women to go into the birth feeling confident. Um, it's really important that we address any fears that she may have leading up to the birth or um, yeah, just really make sure that we're going into it clean. Can we get into the psyche a little bit? Because I know um, I had a doula, as I said, for my second, and and what really shifted shifted when she meant when the contractions she explained to me as being waves, mm -hmm. and and one step closer to me meeting my baby. So instead of you know, I had to shift in my in my brain that it was pain. Like we're not even going to mention the word pain. They're they're waves, and they're going to get you one step closer to meeting your baby. And that was so powerful, just just to have it rephrased like that. Yes, and I think in our society we think of labour as ah painful. <laughs> it's all those Hollywood that's, movies. That's what we see in the movies. That's what we know of birth. And um, so, kind of shifting our perspective about it and looking at it as something. Uh, something positive rather than something you know pain in our culture is something quite negative we have negative connotations around it and so um, it's something it's a useful it's a useful sensation I usually call it sensation and um, or power and I think of the I think of the ocean like when the swell is getting bigger there's more energy moving through the ocean that's what it's like when labor is progressing yeah um, an honour. Is it an honour for you to, to be a part of these women's lives and to witness these births? Yeah, it's always an honour. It's, it's sacred. It's all very sacred. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking after women very closely in the pregnancy. And then, of course, I'm with them for the labour and the birth. Um, uh, and then I look after them for the next six to eight weeks. So in the first week after the birth, and I'm seeing them very regularly, um, I just just establishing breastfeeding, um, healing, making sure that their blood loss is within normal range. Um, yeah, that first week is really intense after the birth. Um, and then I tend to see women weekly for the next six weeks, um, weekly or second weekly. It just kind of depends on how they're going. But um, my feeling is that, yeah, what, no matter what kind of birth you have, whether it's a straightforward normal birth with a tear, without a tear, whether you have a cesarean section, whatever, whatever kind of birth, 
generally you're physically healed by roughly two weeks. And then women start to have a bit more energy. And this is where I see things kind of go a bit pear-shaped. Um, at three weeks when they're just out and about and busy, and they, then they end up with mastitis, or they end up struggling with their milk supply. Or, and so I'm there to just kind of pull them back. I want them to harness that energy that they have so that they don't just physically heal, but their nervous system really has a good chance to heal. So I'm still really encouraging moms to be resting even, yeah, just resting as deeply as they possibly can so that by the time they get to six weeks, seven weeks after the birth, they're really feeling strong. We don't want, we don't want a mom to get to six, seven weeks and feel exhausted. We want her to be feeling strong and really thriving. And that, you know, I, I just, a, a dear friend here just had a baby, her third baby. And um, another friend organised a meal train for her. Her mum flew over to be with her. And um, I went and visited her and took, took a meal, which, we, which was planned. And I, I was in awe because... She was sitting on her couch, the fire was stoked. Her mum was like a little fairy doing all the jobs around and she was just sitting with that baby and she looked like a goddess. She just looked so beautiful and it almost, you know, it's very, it just brings a tear to my eye because it was so beautiful and she was so nurtured and supported and, and, and that baby as a result was having a beautiful um, early existence in this outside world and and I was like that's how it should be but it's so not for so many of us that's how it should be and there is there's more conversation now around not just three trimesters of pregnancy but there's talk about the fourth trimester so the fourth trimester is three months of allowing the baby or giving the baby time to adjust to being outside of the womb and um, I think slowly more and more people are becoming conscious of that more people are becoming aware that uh, we need more than just a few days to heal from a birth and um, we really need to rest deeply eat well be cared for by those like our family friends whoever's around us and that looks different for everybody but um, yeah most I would say most cultures have something in place to support women after the birth for 30 or 40 days. And unfortunately, we don't really have structures, formal structures like that in place in Australia, but uh, it's, it's gently, slowly coming. It is, but I still feel like there's a lot of women out there who think, okay, I've birthed and now I've got to try and get back to normal. Everything's got to get back to normal. I've got to get on and do everything that I... Get back to the gym, get back to work. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably the worst thing we could do for ourselves and our baby. But is that a self-worth? Where does that, where does that stem from? Is that conditioning? Or is that our own, um, you know, disconnection from, our, from ourselves? Yeah, I think it's all of that. And I think it's how we honour women, how we honour women in our society. And I think we don't. We don't really honour women in our society, you know. Um, women are kind of expected to to just you know get on with it and and we're just disconnected from the natural rhythms of life and when you look at the food we eat and yeah it's just, it, we're you know birth and life and death and it's it's all become quite it's all about ticking boxes and getting on and you know, it's kind of the sacredness, I suppose, has been taken away from it. And do you influence women in, in their pregnancy around this? Do you, do you give them good counsel about, well, good, I'm sorry for saying good, but do you counsel them around their own needs and, and worth for the, the, their pregnancy and their postpartum care? Yeah. So I... You know, just you know, there's a lot of uh, women who now have kind of cottoned on to having a birth plan or birth preferences, and I talk to them a lot about having a postpartum plan. So um, we look at how how who's around, who are your support systems, what are your resources, 
Who can we pull in? Can we create a meal train? Can we um, get mom, grandma, or some other sort of mother figure to come in and, and help support? What friends do you have that could potentially come in and hold the baby for an hour while you go have a shower or go for a quick you know, bit of fresh air outside? Um, what do you really value about, what are your values around feeding your baby? Um, yeah, we have, have lots and lots of time for conversation around all of that. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, you spoke about needing a break from midwifery in your early 20s. This is in our private conversation because of the trauma you experienced witnessing stillbirths. Mm -hmm. How do you manage today when the birth doesn't quite go the way you and all the mum parents had hoped? Um, I guess I'm old enough now that to really have a, a deep understanding that in this world there's good and bad, if, if that's what you need to call it. Um, we all go through really difficult uh, challenges and um, at, at different times and I just have so much belief in the human race and our resilience and our capacity to you know deal with the good but also deal with the bad and, you know in maternity there's some really sad things that happen and there's some really horrendous things that I watch families go through um, but I've never seen anyone break completely you know like we have the ability to move through a really challenging experience and come out of it with a smile on our face but it, it is possible and so now like when when things happen i just you know i i try to have the mental flexibility to kind of reframe it into something positive and i you know i hope that i can help the families that i work with to do the same so that that leads me into, I guess, the next question: your your own personal tools and rituals to manage demands of your chosen profession and the balance of being a mum of four children, a wife, and etc. How do you how do you maintain the balance? I think that I'm probably not in balance most of the time. <laughs> I, I just you know I think there's that push and pull. Um, and always kind of navigating and watching myself and knowing when I'm when I am out of balance and I need to pull back a little bit um, But for myself, I just make sure I exit for me exercise. I have to exercise every day I Run I get in the water. I surf. I Meditate not every day, but a lot of days um, I think one thing that I'm really learning right now is that uh, I think with my work, because I'm around people all the time and it's very friendly, I, f I feel almost like my social needs can be met by my work, but I really, and I can become very socially exhausted at the end of a day. So just I have to make it a priority to be with my own friends. Of course. Yeah, and just to socially be with people that don't have anything to do with babies. Um, well, I imagine you've had some pretty good lessons in boundaries because, you know, women would, and families would put a lot of demands on you, I think, being given that there's no sort of nine to five around this job at that's all. That's right. That's right. The lines can easily become blurred. Yeah. So, yeah, I just have to make sure that I really put in place, like um, consciously put in place times for times for me and my family to be together and for me and my, my friends to be together as well. Um, just getting back to women who have had traumatic births and or um, experience, hasn't gone to plan, I personally um, had to have uh, emergency caesarean and that was eight years ago and literally two weeks ago, I got to the bottom of um, inability to engage my, made my um, some core muscles and it's been an ongoing issue. And, you know, my yoga practice, I've, I've not been able to switch things on and, and um, it's regressed significantly. And I've been seeing osteopaths, I've been having Bowen and, and I've been on this search to physically get fit. And finally, I saw someone 
who said it was from my cesarean nearly mm. eight years ago mm. and it was the scar. The scar tissue, yeah. And it blew my mind that I, it hadn't, that I hadn't even considered that. Um, is it, my question is, is it ever too late to heal from births that haven't gone as planned? No, my gosh, no. I mean, probably the most, uh, like in terms of physical injury, um, you know, there's women who suffer from, uh, you know, if they had a bad tear or even if they had multiple children and they, they suffer with prolapses, whether that's a urinary prolapse or a cervical prolapse or a rectal prolapse. Um, I, you know, it's amazing. I always, now I always send women to a physio, a pelvic floor physio um, within about two months after the birth. But, you know, there's so many women who, you know, they just get busy with the kid, busy with baby, children, another baby. And then, you know, before you know it, 10 years have gone by and you've totally ignored your physical issues. Um, so it's not, it's not uncommon. It's not, certainly not unique. There's a lot of women that I know, like friends of mine who are in their 40s, 50s, who are only now just starting to get on top of those sort of issues. Right. It's never too late. And uh, I'd say, um, yeah, pelvic floor, there, you know, you, talk, you, you talked about one third of women being traumatized by their birth. I think that's another area, that mental health area, that sometimes it takes a long time to have the energy to deal with working all that out. Mm. Um, you know, we know that in our culture, 20% of women end up with postnatal depression. Uh, we don't know the stats for men uh, for postnatal depression, but we know that they're susceptible as well. And um, I think there's a lot of women, men out there with like kind of low lying or just sub sort of depression, anxiety that, you know, that you're able to cope and carry on with life, but you're not quite who you were before you had children. And, you know, it's never too late to, to see someone about that either and to get some help and support around your mental health. Yeah, I, we, we touched on this in our private chat and I just wanted to revisit it because, again, um, just my own personal experience, I, I experienced severe anxiety in both my pregnancies. Um, and, you, and I always thought it was mother, mother Nature's way of saying, okay, you're going to be a mum, sort yourself out. But, um, and then I questioned whether it was hormonal and but you have just um, explained to me about the nervous system. Can you just explain the why? And well, yeah, sure. So we are on high alert when we're pregnant and, and certainly after we have our baby. There's that extra bit of vigilance that we have. And that's to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're safe, that our baby's safe. Like it's, it's primitive, it's normal. We're, we're meant to have an extra element of vigilance that we don't normally have when we're not pregnant or when we don't have a newborn baby. But when it becomes a problem is when it becomes out of, uh, if we don't keep it in check, if it, if it spirals too high. And um, so if you have a mom who's like, uh, can't turn her brain off or um, every time the baby makes a little squeak, then she's, <gasps> what's my baby doing? Is my baby still breathing? Oh my goodness. Is it like, it's, that's too much. That's too much of that. Bitch. And so then, that if it's if it's um, interfering with your ability ability to regulate yourself and to calm down, then that's when you need to start. I think that I would recommend that you talk to someone or get some sort of help. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, it's helpful to know that there is that that a little bit of it's normal. It is normal. Yes, it is normal. That it's okay. Um, fortunately, um, I think getting support is getting support around everything around birthing, um, in the home. It just seems like we just are left alone far too often. And that the message here is get support, mm -hmm. get as much support around you as you possibly can. Oh, this is big. Like having a child, giving birth, transitioning to motherhood, it's big. And we, you know... I think about teenagers going through puberty, like that, that transition happens over, you know, several years and they have their teachers and their friends and their 
parents and you know there's they're not alone or they shouldn't be alone when they're going through that and it's the same when a mother or a maiden is transitioning to mother yeah it's that we need that same level of support to get her through and in historically i guess in in primitive or in indigenous cultures there is it seems to be more of that support we've just disconnected from that or we've become um we, we've isolated ourselves a lot i think we're isolated in our nuclear families yeah sure. yeah yeah so, so it's going back and recreating the village recreating the village what and i know there is it's probably a little bit this is fraught with a bit of danger but an ideal birth like you've seen probably um you've seen a lot of births and what would you what can it be like so i, I would like you to frame in a woman a woman that is potentially listening or a couple that could be listening to this what can it be like mm -hmm. so i think first of all i just uh, do not want to get caught up in geography. So I would not say that home birth is the ideal or um, I don't think home is necessarily better than hospital. But what I believe is that um, a woman who feels loved and respected and is given choice in her birth um, I think those are the women that come out feeling not just physically intact, but emotionally intact. I think when, you know, when we talk about these high statistics of trauma uh, around birth, um, usually if you, you know, when you speak to women about the trauma that they have around their birth, it's that they felt pushed into decisions that they, they didn't necessarily feel comfortable with or they feel like they weren't given any choice, or they feel like they weren't respected, they feel like they were surrounded, they were naked in the most vulnerable, in the most vulnerable place that they could possibly be, being surrounded by strangers standing over them, telling them what to do. Yeah, so I think women who are loved, uh, cared for, respected, where, whether that's in, at home, in a birth pool, whether that's in a birth suite, whether that's in theatre, having a cesarean section. And it goes back to what we all just, really what we all want and need is, is to, feel, um, to feel loved, to be loved and, and to be heard as well. It's all about, it's all about that. Is there, um, if someone listening is planning a pregnancy, what would your, regardless of where they choose to birth, what would your top say top five things be for them to consider or the advice from everything that you I know this is quite a challenging question but from everything that you've learnt observed um, and know what are the top five things you would like to share for people to take heed of so first of all there's two books that I always recommend the one is um, spiritual midwifery by Ina May Gaskin and that book was written back in the 70s. It's very uh, psychedelic. Um, but Ina May is the most, she would be the most famous midwife in the world. And it's a collection of stories of women who birth with her. And they're not all perfect stories, but they're like strong, powerful, empowering stories. So that's a good one to start out with. And it's, you, you don't need to read the whole book. Um, uh, you know, it's a good one for dads to pick up if they just want to read little bits and pieces. But that's a really lovely book to start out with. And then the other one that I really strongly recommend is the Postnatal Depletion Cure by Dr. Oscar Saralak. And Dr. Oscar is a, he's a doctor from Byron Bay um, who's looking after a very healthy population, growing their vegetables, eating good food, having babies, but perhaps um, prematurely aging. And he would say that, you know, we talk a lot about postnatal depression. He would say that not, you know, there's a lot of women who aren't necessarily depressed, but they're depleted. And so he really talks about a little bit of what we touched on today about the importance of resting deeply after the birth 
Mm. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, what to, what to eat. He looks at different cultures and how they support women after birth. Um, he looks at um, macronutrients, micronutrients that are really important for women in pregnancy and for after the birth. Um, so those are the two books that I would recommend. Uh, Knowledge is Power. So um, as much, reading as much, educating yourself as much, antenatal classes is really important to prepare for this very significant event, life-changing event in your life. Um, I would also say that nothing can be done to you in your pregnancy, in your labor, after the birth, without your consent. Um, and so it's really important to, uh, if someone's telling you to do something or asking you to do something, it's really important that you understand what that is, why that is, what are the risks and benefits. Um, there's no harm in asking questions and uh, making sure that your care provider is giving you all of the information so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Thank you. Is there any advice prenatally? I, I, we, I study energy medicine through Melanie Ryan Institute of Applied Consciousness. And she's a fifth generation, um, I'll call her energy worker. And she shares that we pass, the mother passes on their essence to the baby. Mm -hmm. And it's a set amount. So the prenatal and pregnancy is also particularly important to manage your energy mm -hmm. and, and to be rested because you pass on that essence to, through the kidneys to your child. Yeah, certainly. So I think that, um, you know, we certainly don't need to be triathletes in our pregnancy, but I would just... I encourage people to just move your body gently, whether, and that's different for every person. So whether that's a bit of yoga, walking, swimming, move your body and eat good food and just be conscious of your nervous system. We do want to go into, we want to go into birth. We want to go into parenting, feeling calm, grounded, relaxed. Is there anything else you would like to share? I think we're going to try and wrap it up now, but, um, is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered? I think, I think the most important thing is to just be aware that birth, pregnancy, birth, it's not just a physical event. It's an, an emotional, uh, it takes an emotional toll. It's a, you know, it's a spiritually, it's a rite of passage that women are moving through. And to really honor it and to, um, you know, try and maintain the sacredness around it. When I, I work with medical students and I always say to them, before you enter a birth room, you should be taking off your shoes. Like this space is sacred. There's an angel that's arriving. Um, we, need to, we need to respect this space. Um, we need to be respecting women. We need to be respecting babies. Um, yeah, that's this is so a, true. It's, it's beautiful. It's, a, it's such a special time. It's such a special time and we need to honor it. Um, I also wanted to ask you about your journey for natural. You, you seem quite, um, you know, I guess um, you're in great condition. Um, and from what I've observed and have learned about you, I imagine you're a pretty inspiring mum. What tips would you give to other mums about facilitating your child's spark and discovery of their own purpose, given you had this knowing of your, of your purpose? And I don't know if that was... Um, uh, it sounds like you had an inner strength and knowing to, to pursue that. But with you've got two girls, two daughters? Two girls and two boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with your children, how? what are the tips for, so postpartum, <laughs> moving on, they're growing, mm -hmm. how do you honour their spark and their own, uh, I guess, their own purpose that you, you might be observing and they might be discovering? Mm -hmm. I definitely do not... See myself as a parenting expert I feel like half the time I'm flying by the seat of my pants um, but I guess with my children who are now between the ages of 12 and 6, 12 14 15 16 um, I have I guess my, my I've just really tried to give them a lot of space uh, to explore um, physically and emotionally um, we 
you know, we live on a property, so they've grown up barefoot and with a lot of freedom. I believe in gentle guidance rather than discipline. And so we've had very few rules, um, just lots and lots of open discussion. And I think that's, that's a big thing. Like just, there's no topic that's out of bounds. Um, they know that they can come to me with anything, everything. And um, yeah, that's how, that's how I try and live with my children. Gentle guidance. Mm. Um, I know you've experienced the Melissa sense because I gifted you a discovery set and I'm eager to learn whether you found one you liked um, and your style of scent. And I would assume you've been wearing natural for a, for a while. Is that correct? Yes. So my favourite, my def definite favourite was Motus number four. Ah. Yes, because it reminds me of Canada. Oh, of course, it's got fur needle in it. Yes, it smells like I'm in the forest. Yeah, it's got fur needle. Yeah, fine. so that was very nostalgic for me. And the other one had geranium in it, Amandi. Amandi, yes, yes. And the geranium, I just love geranium. It reminds me of one of my grandmothers. Oh, yeah. That's a very pretty scent, Amandi. Mm. And you've been wearing natural for a, a long time or? That's, yeah, I've just wear yeah, different essential oils, or tinderbox or... Um, yeah, I, have, I don't even, I, I haven't owned a perfume for, like a real perfume if you, I don't know, I haven't, I can't A long time, I can imagine, I can imagine. Laurelie, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured that you agreed to be a part of this and I'm thankful and I hope that um, everyone listening um, has found some little nuggets in there that they can take home and um, thank you for the wonderful work that you do and for, for being who you are because you're actually a really beautiful person to be around. Your energy is really lovely as well. Um, so thank you and all the best. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Thank you.